can tell, there's a new piece of liturgical or ecclesiastical furniture up here. I want to tell you a little bit about it before we um, get to the message this morning. I've had a couple people say, that's big. It is, because the Word of God is substantial. This is movable, but it's not easy to move. And it was created uh, at the request, Ray Kern, uh, early in the, in the summer, when we had this background, this new background put up here last uh, winter. It took a little getting used to for people. Um, not everybody. Some people loved it right away. Others went, ah, I don't know. <laughs> it might be the same with this. But uh, we asked Ray to tie something in with that, but also something with a shelf, something with enough room, and something that says substance. So I want to tell you a little bit about it. Ray Kern spent his whole summer doing this. Um, his wife had to sacrifice for this. And just like we've talked about, all, not all sacrifices are offerings, but there is no such thing as a great offering without sacrifice. Um, he spent his summer doing this, this red oak and white oak, but this cross he made from a piece of English walnut that he brought back from one of our mission trips to Jamaica. And he, it, you, you notice how it ties in. It's beautiful. It's furniture. It's, it's clean, but it's rough, um, just like the cross. The cross is something substantial, but there, there's no splinters up here, but a splinter from the cross now and then, not a bad thing, because sometimes we clean it up and make it pretty when actually it's, it's a stumbling block. It's, a, it's absurdity to some. And because the word of God in our culture is becoming less and less, we wanted some kind of symbol that says here, that is what, that will be central to everything that we do. So I'm going to read a passage of scripture, offer a prayer. We dedicated it. Um, we had me and Greg and Pastor Kurt in the, in the earlier service. But let me just read this passage of scripture from Isaiah chapter 55. It's that cough button. Wish I had one of those. Oh, um, by the way, if, if the sermon gets too long, they did put something in here that'll shock me. So, uh, um... <laughs> Isaiah 55 says this, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word, says God, that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish that which I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. We pray that every word that comes from behind this podium, this pulpit, is not only the Word of God, doesn't just represent the Word of God, but becomes weighty with God's glory so that it lands with the authority that God wants it to land, and it will accomplish that which He wants it to accomplish. So join me in prayer. We'll dedicate this, then we'll pray for the message, and we'll move from there. Lord, thank you for Ray's offering. Thank you that there is substance to this, that He, he created this as a, an act of worship Lord, we pray and dedicate this, this piece of furniture to you and that every man or woman that stands behind it, whether they be offering up uh, concerns or ideas or thoughts uh, from the mission field, whether it be the pastoral concerns and, or announcements and the involvement of your people or whether it be the preached word of God, we pray that you anoint the voices that stand behind here and that every time we do stand behind here, we say... We are not to preach just what we believe, but what is believed. So, Lord, bless this time. Give me words to speak. Give me the spirit to speak them. And, Lord, there's a couple of things I have to say that I'm a little scared of saying. I pray that you give me courage if you want them said. And if you don't, then you wipe them from my memory. And uh, because I only want what you want said to your people today. We pray this in Jesus' name, that we have eyes to see and ears to hear. Amen. Uh, we're, we, we, we finished up in Daniel. We did six weeks in Daniel. 
And one of, the th one of the reasons we picked that is because we knew we were coming into this time in our country where there's an election and there's tension and that's been built. You know, I don't know if you guys know this, but on November 9, that's the day after the election, the 2020 presidential election starts. Doesn't seem like we're always in that, in that space. This was a year and a half of intense election. And, and we saw it coming this summer. We started getting emails from people. There was, there was lots of anxiety. And so we're trying to just let the scripture speak. We picked that passage in Daniel because Daniel was someone, and, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his buddies, they, there was something about them. They had peace in the midst of chaos. They, had, um, they knew who they were because they knew whose they were. And so that's why the Daniel, and it, we found it exhilarating as preachers. But the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about what we learned in Daniel. Daniel knew whose he was. And that gave him confidence. It gave him authority. It even gave him power. And it gave him the ability to hear from God so that he knew what was true and good and right and noble. And he always spoke what God wanted him to speak these next three weeks, though, we're going we'll to be learning about who we are in Christ. And then a couple of weeks following that, so the next five, we've got three on identity, and then we have two on blessing. What it means to be blessed and what, what you might miss if you miss a blessing. So join me as we read. Well, I'm going to tell you two stories. I'm going to read Colossians chapter 3, 12 and following. Now, that's a very familiar passage to all of it. it. If you watched the movie The Wedding Crashers year ago, years ago, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 8a, or Colossians 3, 12 through 17, they're the two wedding passages. And I know they're familiar. And I preached on this passage before. And so Pastor Greg has preached on this passage before. But I'm going to ask you to listen to a part of the passage that most of the time we rewrite over. So two stories real quick. And I want to tell you that the, the one that should have bothered me didn't, and the one that should have comforted me, comfort, comforted me didn't. So ask yourself which picture you have when you think of your relationship to God. Alexander the Great was surveying his troops one night, and I don't know if it was just because he couldn't sleep or not, but he was a great conqueror. Whether you think of that as great or not, he was very good at what he did. And the thing about Alexander the Great and his army, that if you were standing watch and you fell asleep, it meant certain immediate death. So Alexander the Great is walking around, surveying his troops at night. Everyone's asleep. He's a general. He's trying to figure out what he's, what he's going to do. He's probably not sleeping well. He probably has nightmares going on. I don't know. But he's walking around. He gets out to the kind of the perimeter of his troops, and there's a guard there that's kind of nodding off. And if you, if you think about it, uh, we... Pastor Doug and Nate and I went to a conference in Naperville on Tuesday, Naperville, Illinois. We got up at five something and we, we drove down there and we get in this room and it's warm and the speaker is monotonal. And, and so we were, Doug actually fell asleep from the guy from Barna who was, uh, who was this statistic, this, this statistic, that, and he were sitting up in the balcony. He just, he laid back. He didn't snore, but he did do this a couple of times. Um, so I'm throwing him under the bus. Uh, it was funny, but he drove home. So he had a good night. He was ready, but we were all tired. We were all kind of sleepy. It wasn't really exciting. It was good stuff, but it's just, man, eight hours of just, so this, this soldier, I'm sure he's been out on the battlefield. He gets, he, he gets the, he gets the night watch. And so he's kind of nodding off, leaning on a spear. And Alexander the Great walks up to him and says, Soldier, what's your name? And I'm going to yell here for a second, but I just have, and uh, uh, Alexander, sir, soldier, what's your name? 
Alexander, sir. Soldier, what is your name? Alexander, sir. He knows he's about to die. And Alexander just says this, Alexander the Great says this to him. Either change your name or change your conduct. He carries the name of Alexander the Great. And he wants anyone carrying his name to represent him well. We carry the name of God. Do we need to change our name or change our conduct? Now that's the one that I went, oh yeah, I get that. Here's the one that bothered me. An Irish priest was surveying, he went off to, to a rural parish and he's walking down a dirt road and I can't do an Irish accent so I'm not even going to try. Um, but he, he sees a peasant on the side of the road on his knees in intense prayer. And he says, you must be very close to God. And it says here that the peasant looked up from his prayers, thought a moment, and then smiled. Yeah, he's very fond of me. You must be close to God. Yeah, he's very fond of me. Which one of those resonates most with you? Do you see yourself as beloved, as, as, as adored by God? Do you consider the fact that when you show up to talk to God, that he's almost speechless? I mean, think about it, right? Just for a second. My son lives tw about 1,200 miles away outside of Denver, Golden, Colorado. My daughter lives in Highland Park, Colorado with her husband, Matt. Now, I know that they're coming home at the holiday time, right? I, I know that I'm going to see them. I'm going to see my daughter at Thanksgiving. I'm going to see my, son, my daughter, my son-in-law, and my son all around Christmas time. And then my daughter and my son-in-law are going off to New Zealand for a year. As far away on this planet as they can get from me. I get it. So I know when they're coming. But if I were up here and either one or any of the three of them came right out through the commons area and they came in that door and I started walking out of the hall, do you think I'm going to go, hey, I'll get to you in a minute? Or do you think I'm going to be speechless and just surprised? And, and I, I, I got I a Colossians 3. I'm not going to be able to do that. I'm going to be so blind. Now, they, they're preacher's kids, so they know better than to interrupt dad in the middle of a message. Although Cam did once when he was six. Stood, walked right up on the stage at former church and said, Dad, do you have any money? I need a pop. <laughs> I had my wallet on my hand. So I went, no. Um. I didn't want him to, be, to think that, that his needs, felt needs though they may be, were less important than what dad's doing. So we found a dollar, we gave it to him, and he got a pop. But they know better at this point not to interrupt. But if, have you ever been surprised by someone showing up just to bless you? If you're a parent and you see your, one of your children or you hear them say something to you that you never dreamed you would hear, how it feels, how it grabs you, how it, how it changes you, that is how God sees you. You must be really close to God. Yeah, he's especially fond of me. Change your name or change your conduct. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't care about our, our shortcomings and, our, and our, our sins. I think, and I want to I push those away. I think that it's a big deal. God reveals hidden things. When we, when we have habitual things in our lives that we, that, that we try to hide from everybody else, he's going to bring those out. But I don't think that God is preoccupied with sin because he's already dealt with it, dealt with it. And what he wants is for us to live in the joy and the peace and the hope that he has for us instead of the perpetual state of, I better do more, I better do better, I better do more, I better do better. See, if I do this, 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 I do this for God, and I look back and all I did was a lot of do, do. That's what Paul says. He says it's all but dung. So listen to this passage from Colossians. And see if you can't figure out the peace that speaks to most of us, but the peace that we read right over. 
Colossians chapter 12. Or excuse me, chapter 3, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, or the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, I'm awesome on that, Pat. I mean, I, I'm like, clothe yourself. Yeah, yeah. I gotta, it, there's an old, an old short story from a guy that, that's called Clothes Make the Man. And I've told this once before, a couple of years ago, but think about Zealand. If there were just one bank in downtown Zealand, an old, an, a, a quaint town, just, a, just a, a, one main street. And three guys decide, we're going we're gonna to rob that bank downtown. And so they're, they're, part of their plan was that they dress one guy up as a cop. And he's going to walk the beat. That's just going to reassure everybody that everything's all right. And so he dresses up as a cop and he starts walking the beat. He's got that little, you know, he's kind of doing the whole little. And, 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 and a little boy falls down and skins his knee on a bike. And so he does what a cop does. He goes over, public servant. He helps a kid. Puts a Band-Aid or Bactine or something on his knee and helps him find his mother. He comforts him. And then an elderly lady is walking across. She's just been to the, to, to the, to the flower shop and she's carrying across the street and she drops him and he, he rushes over there to help. So over time, throughout the day, he begins to behave like a cop should behave because he's dressed like a cop. And when his friend showed up to rob the bank, he arrested him. <laughs> Clothes make the man. And that's part of what Paul's saying here. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, gentleness. And then over all these things, the coat that you wear, put on love, which binds them all together. I'm good at this stuff. I'm good at figuring out where I'm messing up, where change your name or change your content. I'm good at, at, at seeing what, what, what duty bound. All right, Lord, I got, I'm not... I'm not, I'm not doing, I'm, I'm not forgiving quickly enough. I'm, I, I'm not bearing in, with each other and forgiving it. Just, I know you forgave me. So help me, Lord, be more loving. Help me, Lord, be more forgiving. But I missed something in this passage. At the end, it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Yeah, okay. Members of your body, call to peace. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. I got it. But this, this passage starts with, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, do you experience, when you think of God, do you think he looks at you speechless? Like, like if you showed up, if, he, if you walked in the room, you're his child, and you interrupt him in doing God stuff, do you think he'd go, hey folks, hold on a minute, come here, come here, look, at, I want to introduce all of you to my son. I want, to, I want you all to see my daughter. You know, he's got your picture on his iPad. And when you show up at judgment, sure, he'll, 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 he'll zoom in and look at her eyes. See that lip? How, it, how when, when, when she talks, it makes her nose move, right? That's how it happens to my wife. Just love, I think that's so adorable. That she's exactly the way I made her. He looks just the way I wanted him to look. Do you picture God being speechless in his love and tender compassion for you? Therefore, as God's chosen, he picked you. Chosen people. Holy, that means set apart like God. Made new. The old is gone, the new has come. He grabs you and he makes you, he turns you into something different. 
that you're in the present and ongoing state of having been redeemed, having been bought back, having been made new. So it, God loves you just the way you are, but he refused, he's not going to leave you that way. And most of what he does in your life is he's trying to make you more holy so that you can understand and experience how dearly loved you are. See, for me, I'm a person that, that's addicted to duty. Yeah, that goes with the do, do, do thing. I want to do right things. Most of the decisions I make in my life are, is this cowardice or courageous? Is this, is there integrity involved or lack of integrity? Is there inauthenticity or authenticity? Is it responsible or irresponsible? Is it dereliction of duty or is it duty? What's the hard thing? I want to find what the hard thing is because nine times out of ten, the hard thing's the right thing. So I get this, clothe yourselves with compassion and kind of be more kind, be more compassionate, be more, be more, be more. But boy, do I have a hard time knowing that I'm dearly loved. There's a passage, uh, something that we quote often at funerals. It's from the Heidelberg Catechism. And if you grew up in the church and you had to go to catechism class, you might hear that and go, ha, ha, ha. It's actually a beautiful confession of faith. But I'm going to read and I'm going to leave something out. What's your only comfort in death? That I'm not my own, but belong body and soul and life and a death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. We get that, and I'm good at that. What's my only comfort in death? That I don't have to burn. Pretty good at it. What's your only comfort in life? Is your only comfort in life that you are not your own, but belong body and soul and life and a death to your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ? that he has fully paid for all your sins with his precious blood and he has set you free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over you in such a way that, that not a hair can fall from your head without the will of his father in heaven. In fact, do you know that all things must work together for your salvation? Because you belong to him, Christ by his Holy Spirit assures you of eternal life. And here's the tough part, and makes me and you wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Is that your daily experience with God, that he is your only comfort. Timothy Keller says this, he says, our need for worth, like how much you're, how valuable you are, our need for worth is so powerful that whatever we base our identity and value on, we will essentially deify, we'll turn it into a God. We look, or we will look to it with all the passion and intensity of worship and devotion. Even if we think of ourselves as highly irreligious. Our desire and need for worth is so powerful that whatever we base our identity or value on, we essentially deify. So what, where do you get your worth? Because you are whose you are. You are what you belong to. We do this in our families. I mean, I carry the family name Walker. My wife carries the family name Curly. I know it's hard to believe, but I call her Curly because that's her nickname, but that's all her maiden name. My children carry my name. My daughter now carries the name of her husband's family. We identify ourselves with certain groups of people. We identify ourselves with, in college, it might be a fraternity or sorority. It might be whether you're in the band or choir or, or arts or if you're, if you're a big academic and you're looking to, be, to become a, a, a doctor or, or some kind of researcher. You, we tend to identify ourselves with who's around us. So we become what we want to be. 
But I'm afraid that we don't often want to be enough. That we don't want to be who God wants us to be. That we don't want to see ourselves how God sees us. As chosen. You didn't do it. You didn't pick him. It's not that we first loved him. It's that he first loved us. I'm not worthy. I can't prove to God how valuable I am. See, a guy named uh, Bill Johnson, he says this, if it's true that the value of something is measured by what someone will pay for it, then we need to rethink our worth. There is not a person on this planet that I would sacrifice my son for. There's not a person on this planet that I would sacrifice my daughter for or my wife or even my son-in-law. And that's not meant to be snickery. It's my daughter chose him. He's now a son of mine. There is nothing, there's no one, I, I, I'm a pretty good guy. And I, I might sacrifice me, but I'm not sacrificing my kid so that you can live. I'm sorry. I don't have that kind of love for other people. But God, it costs him everything. That the perfect relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it's, it's non-competitive. It's always preferring the other. It, each, each has their, their role, but they're, they're three persons in one Godhead. And, and, and one of them said, we got to fix this. And the other said, I'll go. Yeah, but it's going to cost. You're going to give up the right to hang on to being God. Yep, I'll go. And the Father and the Spirit go, okay, we'll walk with you, but there's going to come a time when we got to turn our back. It's got to come a time when you're going to die. You've never, you weren't ever born. You weren't even created. And there's going to come a time when you die. And then you're going to go meet the enemy and you're going to have to close the jaws of the lion that's prowling around looking for someone to devour. God was willing to give everything. To give up equality with God is something to be held on to. And he took on the nature of a servant. He was made in human likeness. And he was obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God gave him the name that is above every name. And you are chosen by him. You are holy, not by your own doing, but by the doing of Christ. And you're dearly, passionately, overwhelmingly loved. At some point, we're going to have to believe in our own conversions. I know it feels right now like this is a finger-pointing message. I'm trying to convince me as much as I'm trying to convince anybody else. See, I'm good on the loving other people part. I try hard. I'm good at, at showing compassion. I'm good at, 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 at even feeling angry with people when they mess up. I'm, I'm good at, at sitting with someone in the worst of times. I'm good when someone confesses sin of not shaming them. I'm good at, at, at feeling for others and, and behaving toward others. And I'm good at receiving the fiery darts, the betrayals, the hurt, the passionate hatred, the things that people say, the things that people do, the being, people being willing to look at the, out only for their own interest and, and refusing mine. I can feel every bit of that. The horrible things that some people say, two were about me, two were about people I love. But what I can't do yet, the journey that I've been on the last couple of months, is I can't experience yet 
compassion or tender mercy or love or joy. Once in June of 1989, no, June of 1990, I experienced joy in the Lord. I experienced some sense of belonging in December of 1978. Other than that, my experience of being dearly loved, I know it. And I can do a pretty good job of articulating it. But the experience, there's one person that I've experienced grace from. Not know it, I see it, I can read social cues, don't hear me wrong. But my wife, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that she loves me for who I am. And she comforts me, cares for me. But oh, how I wish that I knew experientially, not head knowledge, but I knew experientially that God is speechless when I show up. So the reason we're doing these messages, it's as much for me, because I know what the scripture says. But I'm not sure I know, know what the scripture says. See, if I find my comfort in what I do, if I'm trying to convince God that I'll take shots for him, if I'm trying to, 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 to define myself just by how I behave, then that's idolatry. And I'm asking you with me to ask and seek and see if God might have something more for you, not because of what you've done, but because of whose you are. See, peace can't, <clears throat> excuse me, peace cannot be stolen. You must willingly, willingly yield it up. And somewhere in my life, I've decided that it doesn't matter what happens to me. So somewhere in my life, I believe that God doesn't care what happens to me. Now, I know, different. It's a lie. It's a lie that it doesn't matter. And I don't know what it is in you, but there's something. This isn't therapy for Trent. As a team, we decided to preach this. And as a team, when we were walking through my journey with the, with the staff, I said, I don't know if I can do this identity stuff. Because I, I, well, then maybe you should. You are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Maybe it's time to believe in our own conversions. What is your only comfort in life? See, here's something else. And I don't like this. But if you're bought and paid for, and you're owned, you're freed from the tyranny of the devil and the impact of sin, you're free to be a servant to and a slave of Christ. That's voluntary. So if I've been paid for and bought, purchased, and I hang on 
to what no longer belongs to me, I'm a thief. And the same is true for you. If the Lord has bought you, if he's chosen you, redeemed you, bought you back, and he has something wonderful for you, and you say, nah, I'm going to hang on. I'm, no, no. I'm going to comfort myself. It's thievery. And I don't want to be a crook. Enough of those on the TV. Do you know that God loves you? Change your name or change your conduct. Yeah, I am close to God. He's especially fond of me. Which is it? I pray to God that for you and for me, that we'll see how cherished we are. Two more quick things. One, if you purchased something for a child or a loved one, if you spent, I mean, you saved and you saved and you saved and you spent and you wrapped it up and you knew this was going to make their life better. You know, think of it as something huge. Like you had a, you had a child that, that you bought a house for. Or you have a, 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 someone you love that's always had the rickety old car and you have, God has blessed you and instead of doing something fun for yourself, you pay cash for an automobile and you, and you put a big bow on it and you put it out in the driveway and, and, and you go, come here, I want to show you what you, come here, come here. And they go, eh, what's that going to say to you? Your value and your sacrifice, what does it mean to them? Nothing. So if God says you're chosen and holy and dearly loved, and I go, eh, what am I saying to God? What are you saying to God? Who do you love? You remember that time, men that are married right before you proposed, Remember that feeling in your stomach and that shaky hand and your mouth got dry and your tongue, stopped, your tongue stuck to the top of your mouth, kind of like preachers every time they get up here? You remember how you looked when she said, yeah, or the first time you met your child? Someone that you dearly love. Remember, just for a moment, remember the eyes that you had when you saw them. And I'm not even asking you right now to multiply that by the millions and billions that you would need to. But you know that when you, when, you, when you look at someone you dearly love, that that is how God looks at you every time. And while he's not surprised when you show up to spend time with him, he will drop everything to be with you. I pray that you walk out of here today knowing a little bit more that your daddy loves you. Let's pray. Lord, we are chosen, holy, and dearly loved, individually and corporately. That's enough. We pray this for the glory of God the Father, by way of the Spirit, and in the name of Jesus.
Amen. I'll end with this passage from Isaiah 55. We started with the pulpit in Isaiah 55:10. We'll end with this. This is both a command and a promise. You will go out with joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush, will grow a pine tree. And instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown for an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed. Lord, bring the myrtle. Lord, bring the pine trees. I pray that you understand that the same way you might look to your son or daughter if you have children, you know that your father, his son, and the Holy Spirit look at you. You are a beloved son or a beloved daughter of the Most High God who chose you, makes you holy, and oh, are you dearly loved. The Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine on you, be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance for you. God, just picture that. God smile at you, at you, and he'll give you peace. And all of God's people say, amen. Go with and in the peace of Christ.